Clement K. Takwaye now presents Dreams of Gods and Monsters, Part 2, from the Daughter of Smoke and Bone Trilogy by Lonnie Taylor. Welcome back to MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Kitty Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week, we finished up the last book in the Daughter of Smoke and Bone trilogy by Lonnie Taylor. And this book was called Dreams of Gods and Monsters. I think I messed up our intro because I think I was supposed to say something and I didn't and Marissa just covered for me. So <laughs> that's what I'm here for. <laughs> But yeah, okay, first of all, we recorded these episodes really close together, so we both were reading like 300 pages in a couple of days, Um, and I don't know if that contributed to it, but it just, it felt like, again, just so much happened in a short (laughs) amount of time, like even the last few chapters, and we have read this before, but we didn't have some of the answers that I remembered getting eventually, and I was sort of like, when are we going to find out some (laughs) of this big stuff? Like, there's sort of big gaps that we haven't resolved yet. Um, I agree. But I thought I thought the pacing actually worked really, really well. I yes, I I agree, and I also kind of disagree. I thought I always get wary whenever a new character arrives in the last book that becomes kind of pivotal or that reveals a lot about the plot. And so, mm-hmm. meeting Eliza in the last book kind of threw me for a loop a little bit, and it was just all of a sudden we were hit with. And it was good we got the answers that we wanted, but we were also hit with just so much stuff. It was like the answers just kind of opened up this whole new world, literally this whole new world of these monsters. And it was like a little bit jarring for me, I have to say. I don't disagree with you, but what I like is it wasn't fully resolved either. It wasn't like, oh, Eliza had like a secret, like she set the stage for, you know, we can be the god stars, we can fight these beasts or whatever but but they didn't actually like resolve at all like it would have been way too much if we like were introduced to this problem and then we actually solved it in the last 50 pages and had to fight another war yeah (laughs) yeah that would have been too much but I think it kind of worked because it, it sort of felt like another beginning and just kind of set the stage for like yeah, Akiva and Kairu aren't actually fully together or happy, but their dream is starting to become a reality, and there's still there's still a lot to be done. And there's still hope that they will be together, which is kind of like the pillars of this book is the idea of hope and just having faith that it will turn out all right. So it's kind of nice that we are left with that feeling. And this idea of fate, I feel like, keeps coming up too, mm-hmm. maybe more so in the third book. But I think my biggest question with Eliza was... So Razga, he was also a fallen, and he's still alive after all this time, but Eliza's had thousands of years of ancestors since the angel. Yeah, that's a really good question. Why, like, why did Elazio, is that her name? Yeah. I, I assume she's dead, because if there are descendants of her, something must have happened, but I don't know why Razgut kind of outlived them all. Yeah, and Razgut even in one of his flashbacks was saying, like, he felt it every time they died because they were all, like, connected yeah. together from some of this weird magic, but... But not him. Yeah, but not him. So I'm kind of curious. Like, I still feel like I have questions about him, and yeah. but I loved that he ended up with Esther, the evil grandma. <laughs> Esther, I know, I know. 
And I love that Mick Talk about a betrayal. stole the wishes. And was just like, self-fulfilling prophecy. She said she didn't have any. <laughs> I know. I, I was like, I was kind of surprised when Esther actually became a character. Because she was always just Karu's fake grandmother. And then she has this terrible betrayal where she finds out Brimstone's dead. And she decides to side with the angels. And she like kicks Mick and Susanna out of the hotel. And then like warns Jail that Karu was coming. And she ended up playing like a much bigger role than I expected. Mm-hmm. But... I was glad that she kind of got her just desserts at the end. And I didn't even feel like it was full betrayal. I mean, it was betrayal, but it wasn't like we had enough of a relationship or trust there. Like, it sort of was just her character. Like, it was sad that this is, like, the closest thing she had to a human family, sort of. She kept kind of saying, you know, like, it was her fake grandma, but she had spent Christmas with her or, you know, whatever. Just, like, these little moments. Mm -hmm. Um. So it's kind of sad that there wasn't more on her side, on Esther's side. But even she, like the reason they brought, uh, oh my goodness, Hexiah back to life was mm-hmm. because she already was oh, like suspicious yeah. of her of Esther. Yeah. Right, that's true. I love when they brought Hexiah back because I thought it was like a really good way for her to try and make amends. Yeah. And it was like they were giving her a second chance again. Yeah, and this book, again, another one of the big themes is sort of the chance to choose differently in the future, you know, mm-hmm. to redeem, not not fully redeem your past, but um, decide to make a change now and have a better future than you, than yesterday. Oh, absolutely. And you see that at the end, too, when, like, um, all of the misbegotten volunteer to free the souls from Laura Monday, mm-hmm. because they, they say something like they've never had a chance to unmassacre a city, and... Well, who does? <laughs> I mean, it's true. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Speak for yourself. <laughs> oh, well, last Tuesday. <laughs> I do that all the time. Um, but yeah, they all like were jumping at the chance to kind of wash off some of the blood from their hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also really liked the idea of Razgut and getting the story of how he fell and the idea of sending these farers, as what they're called, I guess, through multiple worlds to try and claim them. Because again, it's like... The idea of hubris always comes back around to haunt you, right? They thought that they could um, open up all of the worlds and then kind of own them. And they had this very grand dream, the angels did. And then it just backfired in such a horrible way. And I thought it was interesting that, like, Razgut's one of the first characters we meet in the series, in the very first book. And we know that something bad happened to him, but we don't find out until the last half of the last book. So that was like a big question that she left hanging for a really long time. But um, it, I mean, it was a pretty satisfying answer, even though it was terrifying. Yeah. And originally, I thought it had something to do with upsetting the emperor, because we knew that he had like a temper and, you know, he was kind of already like a bad guy in our mind. And I don't like it just any he kind of seemed like he was rejected by his own kind. And he was, but just not... (laughs) In recent years, or his own kind that we had already met, his original own kind back before. Um, Yeah. Um, The only thing I didn't like about the Portal story was, like, I feel like the whole point of this book is that words like monster and demon and angel are so relative. Because, you know, the chimera are are demons to the angels, but we know that they're not. And vice versa. Like, the angels don't do things that you would think are stereotypically angelic. And there's good and bad on both sides. And there's good and bad everywhere. And so to throw out a term like monster, where, like, 
the idea of a monster is just a matter of perspective. And so I thought that that the idea that all of a sudden there were these bad monsters, like, oh, no, wait, these are actually really bad monsters. I was just like, doesn't that cheapen the moral of the story, essentially? Well, especially if you think that part of the problem with these monsters is that they're going into other worlds and destroying them, which is essentially what the angels were doing in the first place. (laughs) Exactly. So I just didn't like that she threw, the author just threw out these monsters that we were supposed to just take at face value that they were bad and evil when we've gotten to know both sides of the, of the Chimera army and the angel army and found that that's not the case. And I think, again, I would have more of a problem with that if that story had been resolved, finished, we saved the world, yay, we killed all the evil monsters. Part of me kind of feels like the stage was set for another realization of the same kind of things. Like maybe yeah. when they actually engage with these beasts, they do find some sort of peace or goodness in them or, or whatever. They were just but hungry. They didn't know that people lived there. <laughs> yeah, there were some also just some beautiful moments in this book. And I, I said it before, but I think the writing of this series is the some of the best writing we've ever come across in a YA novel, I think. Lonnie Taylor has a really beautiful kind of poetic quality to her writing. And just like some of the images I will never forget, like um, whenever Aziri is killed in the body of Thiago and Laraz just didn't know what to do. So she opened up her canteen and tried to sing his soul into her canteen. And it was just Mm -hmm. like, it was so beautiful that this woman who was so ferocious and so vicious and so untouchable was just like, kneeling in a frozen stream trying to sing the soul into her canteen it was just it was so beautiful and the way she described it was so beautiful um and there's just so many moments like that scattered throughout the whole book Mm -hmm. and she does a really good job I loved a lot of her analogies and I don't have any flagged right now to share but she just created these visuals while you're reading or made so many different connections to different things that really would like capture an emotion or capture one of them was like describing the absence of either Akiva or Karu or something. Like, I don't know. But just, like, some of these um, metaphors that she used, I thought, were just oh, so beautiful. Yeah. The one that I really liked was um, when Eliza was talking to Dr. Shandri, and she was talking about how someone can believe strongly in science, but also have faith and be spiritual and be religious. And I love that idea because that's something I feel strongly about, too. And he said something like, the mind is a palace with room for many guests. And I just thought mm-hmm. that was a beautiful way to describe how, like, opposing thoughts can coexist in your brain and be friends there, even though they don't necessarily belong together. Although I was disappointed in him, just going back to that oh. analogy. Eliza called him out on it, too. She was like, so you think it's possible that we have, you know, like, you, you can believe A, B, and C, but me actually being a descendant of these creatures that we now know exist is, like ludicrous like that mm-hmm. makes me crazy kind of thing and I was a little bit disappointed that he didn't come around a little bit more in their discussion after they had had that kind of bonding moment before and he had known her earlier like it, it made sense to me that the other scientists would be purely suspicious or doubtful right. or whatever but I kind of thought they had a stronger relationship to leverage to believe her a little bit I agree especially since like we also see how that stupid jerk face Morgan Toth like stole her phone and released all those images and Dr. Chandry Mm -hmm. didn't even stop to consider that she might have been hacked like he immediately Mm -hmm. thought she was responsible for it and yeah that was kind of disappointing too yeah 
Although I love that she got revenge on Morgan. It <laughs> seemed like such a reminder of the very beginning of the book, like when we first hear about wishes and it's, you know, Kaz or whatever his name was and the itching or what, like just, <laughs> it's just so funny to see some of these things come back around and also to see again, these sort of lighthearted moments in these really serious, mm-hmm. really heavy plot lines. I was so nervous whenever Mick and Susanna got their hands on those very powerful wishes because, like, <laughs> there was a moment where they almost wished themselves to be samurai soldiers. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was like, oh, this could end so badly. <laughs> I actually looked into samurais a little bit more. I think it was Mick who was like, do we actually know what that means? <laughs> she was like, well, maybe not. We'll just turn into or, Japanese men, maybe. No, no, they said, don't we just really wish we could kick ass? And then they're like, well, what if we just have really good precision on kicking someone's like actual butt like and we just walk around and we're just really good at so at least they understood and appreciated how vague or specific you know like how you have to word a wish to get what you really want what did you learn about samurai okay so i i kind of was like i actually don't know that much about samurai besides kind of you know some you know, like some big, some big ideas. So sure. I found this <laughs> so article exactly. called, I mean, you know, like I, yeah, no, I, know exactly I just like, I haven't researched them in detail. I haven't even done much. So, um, you know, it's like a legendary Japanese warrior, but I found this article on list first about 10 fascinating facts about the samurai. Oh, um, so one of the first ones that I thought was really interesting was that there actually were a lot of women samurai. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. So technically I guess samurai is a masculine term, but they're part of this social class called the bushi class in Japanese. Um, and there were a lot of women called ona, bugeisha, um, but they would like participate in combat. They'd go to fight. And in general, it's sort of, they weren't, they didn't make a lot of the historical texts, but there was a site where the battle of Sinban Matsubaru occurred in 1580 and they DNA tested a bunch of the remains that were found there and out of 105 bodies 35 of them were female oh my gosh so it wasn't like i mean it was a pretty significant portion of the group yeah that's a shame that they never kind of made history yeah and i'm curious what that actually means again and this yeah. is just kind of like a list first thing so maybe they're maybe they haven't made certain like history at this point but maybe they were recognized in their time and Back then that, like yeah. you know i'm not really sure about all of that um, and there also were some Western samurai. So I guess I haven't actually seen the movie The Last Samurai, but I think it isn't Tom Cruise in that. <laughs> I actually have no idea who's in it. I just there was a reference to it in this article um, that someone outside of Japan who fought along with the samurai could eventually become one. Oh. And they said there's actually four Western men who have th- become samurai, and one of them's Tom Cruise. One of them is an arms dealer, Edward Schnell. <laughs> one of them is a Navy officer, Eugene Kolosh. And then um, probably the most famous and influential was William Adams, who was an adventurer, and his colleague, Jan Justin Van Ludenstein. Oh. Yeah, and it does, uh, you're right, Tom Cruise was in The Last Samurai. It says that they didn't make the movie with Tom Cruise. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a shame. Oh, so this is, I thought this is also cool. So most samurai, like 16th century samurai was typically really really slim and only about five three to five five height wise still taller than me (laughs) so but still like (laughs) relatively tiny like even at the same time european knights were between six foot and six foot five like that was the average so they were like even though they're sometimes portrayed as like 
more of the like gigantic These, warrior. Like, yeah. yeah. They were like pretty slim and small. On the smaller side. Couldn't have been possum giants, that's for sure. And compared to the average Japanese person, members of the samurai class were noticeably hairier and had lighter skin. And their profile, specifically their bridge of their nose, I guess, was distinctly more European. Oh. So they actually think that they might be descendants of an ethnic group called the Ainu, who were considered inferior by the Japanese and are often discriminated against, even though... (laughs) Samurai are thought to be, like, this pure Japanese class of people. So are you born into the class of samurai? Or do you have to become one? I think it was mostly a social class. So it was, like, the warrior class of people. And it was... So it wasn't, like, an elite group. Um, That was another thing I read. But I think a lot of times they're kind of portrayed as this sort of small nobleman group or this, like, kind of rare fighting force, like the Navy SEALs or something. But it was, like, a huge... It was an entire social class, so it was sort of like a middle, upper-tier soldier group of people. Um, And I think I read somewhere that it was like about 10% of the Japanese population were considered samurai at their strongest point. Oh, okay. Cool. I don't know. There was some other interesting stuff. I think that was kind of some of the more interesting things and not bloody (laughs) because I didn't want to go down. We've had enough bloodshed for a while. Talking about weapons and their suicide rituals and whatnot. Oh, also, they um, were extremely open-minded about sexual relations, I guess. And they even would actively encourage same-sex relations, particularly between an an experienced samurai and, like, a youth he was training. Oh, okay. So, I guess the practice was known as wakashudu, which is the way of the youth. And it was, like, so common that if you didn't engage in it, you were considered weird. More oh, so than if you did engage in it. So so it was kind of like a partnership. Yeah, and it, they made a lot of references to the Spartans, too, um, which I don't know as much about oh, yeah. the Spartan warrior culture in terms of that. But if you do, it's it was kind of, it sounds like a little bit similar with how sort of a more, you know, you'd have like a mentor, male, warrior, partner. Who you were close to in more ways than one. Yes. Interesting. So those are some fun samurai facts. That they probably hadn't researched before they thought about wishing to be samurais. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I guess Susanna's already pretty short, so. <laughs> yeah, that one. She, she might grow, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I loved, um, I like how, like, most of our research was inspired by Susanna. <laughs> I, okay, this is, wait, no, I need to find this. Oh, I can't find it right now, but, um. One of my favorite moments was when Susanna came back from war and she was like, I want to design a t-shirt and it had some, like. <laughs> completely stupid saying that no one yeah, would understand I remember that. but i was just like this is why Susanna is me and like i'm always like we should just put that on a t-shirt i haven't done that yet okay and actually we were talking about how we still have to come up with a fan name oh, and i yes. sort of felt like Susanna and mick are like us in these stories right because they're just humans who are like buying into everything along for the adventure want to be part of it but aren't like I don't like something with them. I thought, <laughs> and we believe it wholeheartedly. Yeah, like the fact that they like jumped in, accept all the crazy stuff that's being yep. thrown at them, like try to do the best they can, but again, don't really quite fit into the world as a whole naturally, but have embraced it and been embraced by it. So <laughs> I was trying to think of names, and I didn't really come up with any good ones. But I was like, okay. maybe it should be something about like samurai wannabes or like. Um, what are those, the storm thing that they, storm hunters, storm hunter trainers, or I was just trying to (laughs) think of something Mick and Zuzanna related. 
I don't know. Wishmongers. We could be wishmongers. I wrote the wishmakers at one point. Ooh, I like that too. And then I wrote like hope and then I just wrote errs. Because I, was trying to make it. <laughs> I like was really struggling. <laughs> They're, they are the hoper people. <laughs> Okay, I like my favorite is Wishmakers. I didn't really come up with anything either. I came up with Revenants or God Stars, but I don't like really either of those at all. So I let's be Wishmakers. I like God Stars, but I just feel like it doesn't fit with the whole series, you know? Yeah, because they just came in at like the last minute. <laughs> I really wish I had something better with Zuzanna and Mick related, but I feel like that they're like the us of the story, but I I don't know. I agree. I also really liked when they were flying and passing the time by writing personal ads for the Chimera. (laughs) I know, I love that too. I actually circled the one that they wrote about Ziri, because it's so true. So, (laughs) it goes, heroic sweetheart currently occupying smoking hot maniac body in order to save the world, would sacrifice anything for love, but hopefully won't have to. I really deserve a happy ending. (laughs) It's so true and so fun. Again, they're like the light-hearted <laughs> element of the book. I agree. They're just fun. They're just pure fun. And they did go home and see their parents, so that makes me feel better. Although, and they are getting not married. until yeah, not for a long time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have they gotten married yet? No. Did they rush the wedding or just the engagement? Okay, <laughs> maybe they'll have a long engagement. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was glad, I was really glad that Ziri got a happy ending too. I love the scene when Karu finally resurrects him and like builds him his new body and she leaves off the Hamsas because he didn't have them originally and like his whole first meeting with Laraz was just as awkward as you want it to be and I love when yep. she can't articulate her feelings and she's just like nodding her head and, and covering her like mouth. internal. <laughs> <laughs> There's this like internal dialogue where she's like, "Great, keep nodding. You're doing just the worst. Like this could not be going anywhere." <laughs> he, he thinks you're freaked out by how he looks right now. Like, yeah, <laughs> it was funny. But watching her struggle with that was just kind of endearing, and it seems like it's gonna work out. And it also, it makes me so glad. It was kind of cool because she she really does understand sort of Akiva's transformation. Although I also think it's funny that it's like the only like cross cross-species or whatever relationships we have are Kieran and <laughs> Angels. <laughs> oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that. Well, maybe now that those two couples have started things, maybe that'll make the other Chimera kind of warm up to the Angels. Yeah, there's more openness to it, but I just thought it was funny that they both fell for Kieran originally. Yeah. I kind of, like, want Karu to go back to being Kieran. I know. I know she won't because she, like, won't give up the body Brimstone made her, but... I don't know. Part of me was like, oh, you could be Kieran again. I'm also kind of curious about lifespans. Yeah, me too. In general, but that's a problem for for later. I don't know if we'll ever find out. Oh, (laughs) we should mention to people that we we were supposed to read a short story for this Mm -hmm. segment, and it's called A Night of Cake and Puppets, so there is another story, but... It's not a short story because we downloaded it and it was over 200 pages. So, and that was yesterday. So we did not have time to read that. We're very sorry. I think I cut out the part where we were actually like, we'll read that next week. We did talk about it oh, last episode. But okay. I was like, nope. That was when I texted you. I was not like, we're not doing that, right? What if I had been like, um, yeah, you have to read an extra 241 pages. I mean, I would have called in sick to work. It's no big deal. <laughs> I would have called in sick to podcast. <laughs> Uh, 
So I did all my research this week was just really goofy. Oh, you did something Another else? thing I researched, I found this New York Times article on how to remember your dreams. <laughs> Ooh. Because um, at the end, when Akiva is off with the stellions and Kairu is at the excavation site before they decide to hold off on building on the bodies until winter and the famine are over, mm-hmm. um, she, like, is waking up after he kind of sends her these feelings, but she can't quite remember her dreams. And she's like, I wish I knew how. And she talks about some song. Like, here, kitty, 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 right. that you used to say to your dreams. I didn't even know what she was talking about. Maybe that's a common either. thing. <laughs> I was like, is this the Meow Mix commercial? <laughs> At first, that's what I was like, is that what she's talking about? <laughs> or isn't there a song in, like, um, Big Bang Theory about cats and sleeping or oh, something? I, I was like, is that what you're talking about? I don't know. Anyways, so this is a Harvard Medical School Associate Professor of Psychiatry recommendation. Um, he specializes in sleep and cognition, and his name is Robert Stickgold. And this is just funny. So he said, before you go to bed, drink three full glasses of water. Oh, my God. So you wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah. Pee. This will force you to get up and go to the bathroom. Middle of the night awakenings are frequently accompanied with dream recall. Um, he also recommends that you repeat the phrase, I'm going to remember my dreams <laughs> three times before you drift off to sleep. And keep a notebook and pen by your bed because this will establish recall as a priority. So I guess, you know, when you're lying in bed at the end of the day and your brain is trying to figure out what it's going to work on when you're asleep. So if you say that right before bed, you're like giving it a to-do list that it might remember. That's kind of funny. I used to actually wake up and write down my dreams. Like if I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would remember a dream, I used to write them down. I like always remember my dreams and they're always weird. And I like have conversations with James about like five dreams I had the night before. And I'm like, what about you? And he can't remember anything. So I'm going to make him read this article. Oh no! But then, okay, this is the last part. And I think I actually do this. So maybe this helps. When you wake up, don't open your eyes. Don't move. Don't say anything. And replay it in your mind while you're half asleep because when you remember something, when you're awake, you store the memory differently versus if you like roll over and start talking about your dream right away, you'll start to lose it because it's not like in your memory in the right spot. And I think I do that. I think like I usually when I wake up and have a dream, I'm like thinking about it and like reliving it. And then I like tell everyone all day about my weird dream that I had. Same here. (laughs) I had a dream recently that my head fell off. That's weird. <laughs> it was so weird. And and I was like, I was in bed and I woke up in my dream and I didn't, my head was not on my body. And I was like looking in the bed for it. And I was like trying to find my head in the bed. And then it was like under the sheets and I was, and I felt it. And I was like, oh, there's my head. I'm like not even worried about it. Like what does that even Apparently, mean? another samurai fact I read was that they would keep incense in their helmets so that if they were beheaded, it wouldn't smell bad or something. Oh, <laughs> that's very um, nice of them to be thinking of other people smelling their disembodied <laughs> heads. It's very considerate. So I, I already mentioned this. James usually never remembers his dreams. But the other day, I've been... I love Toby, and I love having a puppy, and he's a lot of work, and I really don't need another dog. But I love looking at dogs online, so I constantly send James pictures of other puppies. Oh. And he's like, no, 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 we're not getting one. You know, Toby's less than a year old. We have our hands full. But he had a dream the other day that we had a second dog. And he, like, woke up, and he was like, she was so cute. And, oh, like, no. he was even like, and she was so little, and she, like, peed on the floor, but she was so small. <laughs> and I was like, James, you're talking about how cute it was that a dog peed on the floor. Like, what is going on <laughs> with you right now? Because... He's never been a fan of that who is. So now I think we can get a second dog one day. She must have been really cute. Yeah, she must have been really cute. Uh, I hope you do. Although, 
It does sound like you have your hands full with Toby, who has started pulling your books off the bookshelf. Yeah, earlier today you pulled a book off the bookshelf, and I was like, (laughs) that is a decision you do not want me to have to make, Toby. You were the books. Don't mess with me. No, (laughs) Or my book. (laughs) I think he's just really smart and wants attention, and he's like, I know she'll get off the couch for books. (laughs) I know it's really important to her. But, yeah. No no new puppies anytime soon, but down the road, (laughs) Toby will get a sister. Well, I like um, that you brought up dreams because I really like the uh, stallions when they have that dream season. And I love how the book ends with like Akiva and Karu get to spend a dream season together. Mm -hmm. And that's just like such a beautiful thought. Um, And the stallions too are just like, they're such interesting creatures and it's, it's such an interesting sect of angels. And I love that we learn more about them just in general. I wanted to even know more about, because Scarab helped change the tide of that battle where our misbegotten Revenant army was vastly outnumbered and dying (laughs) off fast. Um, And I couldn't quite tell, because they had such an isolationist policy before, if it was just that, I mean, she's kind of had this war attraction, attraction, like she likes the idea of war, she wants to be Mm -hmm. warriors again, all this stuff, and she, you know, talked about this harp thing before. I couldn't tell if it was just like she had an excuse to start her harp and kill these angels oh. or if she really felt any sort of like, oh, yes, this isn't my battle. But, you know, like I couldn't tell if there was any amount of this like emotional, like protecting people side to it at all. Or if it was purely like, oh, here, I'll just kill these people and start my harp now. <laughs> I feel like she's supposed to be like a kind of young, a little bit hot blooded and inexperienced and she's like a young queen who wants to assert herself. And so I feel like that plays into it mostly. That's fair. There could be so many more short stories. I'm glad that we have a Mick and Susanna story that's not short to eventually read. But I want to know more about so many other characters. And I think she set made such a cool world and set the stage for so many things. Like there's so much more that could be done there. I'm curious to see if she ever revisits and so. does more. Because I want to see, um, like, I love the idea of, of how magic always has a price. Like, you can't mm-hmm. take it for free. And, the, and and Akiva almost unleashed the monsters by thinning the veil every time he entered that Sirithar state and was just taking and taking and taking. So I kind of want to see more about how they're going to repair the veil that's keeping the monsters out. and mm-hmm. Or even just, like, how they knew how to reinforce it in the first place. Yeah. That was kind of fascinating to me. And what the, if it's not pain, what are they doing now to trade that's not against the natural order of things or whatever? Against the rules. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, I agree. There's a lot of room for more stories and definitely prequels and sequels. Because yeah, even just, even without, again, this whole extra layer of beasts out in the veil or whatever bringing the chimera and the angels together building a new society like rebuilding lamarty bringing these souls back to life like there's so much stuff going on with interesting like i want to see um amazalim see his kids again oh amzalab yeah whatever his name is (laughs) i can't you know i don't know anyone's name we can't pronounce your name but we love you yeah you're cool (laughs) yeah I, I would love to see how they glean all of those souls and kind of bring those soldiers back to life. Which is kind of funny because I was researching, um, I was researching a lot of stuff. So I, I wanted to see, look up stories of people who have seen real life angels. Because we have like the angels who invaded Earth and I just was like, oh, I'm sure there are, people, there are stories of people who have claimed to see angels. But then I got sidetracked because apparently um, people all over Chicago are seeing the Mothman. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I was like... The Mothman? That's a thing? I don't even know what that is. Do I know what that is? Yes, you do. The Mothman Prophecies? Have you ever seen that No movie? idea. I don't even know what you're so talking well. about. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> well, the Mothman was like this um, winged bird Batman. Winged humanoid is the official cryptozoology term. <laughs> but he's like this creature that was seen in... Um, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, in, like, the 1960s, and there were, like, sightings of him all around this town, and then they said that he's, like, um, a harbinger of doom or um, destruction, and it um, led up to the collapse of the Silver Bridge. No? Not ringing a bell? No, but I just, okay. I'm reading a Wikipedia article at the same time that you're talking oh. about it. Okay. <laughs> I'll send you the Vice article that I read because okay. um, it's terrifying. But people have been seeing him all over um, Chicago, and I was just like, great, this is the Angels invasion, but it's freaking Mothman, and it's in Chicago, and like, one of the sightings was really close to my house, and apparently- So I shouldn't move back to Chicago because no. all the bridges are about to collapse? Well, I feel like something bad's going to happen because there's been- 55 sightings in Chicago That's in a 2017. Lot. Yeah, I know. And people are describing it as um, looking kind of like a pterodactyl and not, like, not having feathers or fur. And some people described it as a gothic gargoyle. And most of them were spotted flying. But some other people said that they saw it dropping onto the hoods of cars, peering through windows, or swooping down on bystanders. Like it's looking for something. Yeah, I know. And so... I was just was laughing because I was reading this article and I was like, of course we have the Mothman and not an angel invasion. But, <laughs> but people were saying that they think there are at least three flying humanoids, winged humanoids in the Chicago area. So if I see one. <laughs> Did you ever read that, those like kids books about like cats that could fly? Nope. That's, for some reason that's what I'm thinking of right now. <laughs> okay, you send me that book and I'll send you the Mothman prophecies and we'll go together and talk about it. Sounds good. So then I started researching. Um, I went, I got away from the angels and the Mothman. And then um, I was thinking, so one of the themes that I really like in this book is the theme of rebirth and how the Revenant army is just, is, is just constantly reborn. And so I started researching reincarnation. Okay. And I, I also was thinking about how, like, Eliza um, is a descendant of... Elaziel, the fallen angel, and how she was kind of like worshipped as a prophet in this cult that that she was born into, um, where like they they worship the descendants. Another great character backstory that could make a great yeah, short story. It or like sh- she had a horrific childhood, but yeah. I just thought it was interesting, like the idea that the descendants would be constantly reborn through her line. And so I was thinking about reincarnation stories, and I read, mm-hmm. I looked up a bunch of. People who claim that they have witnessed reincarnation, and a lot of them are with children, and they're super creepy. Wait, what does it mean to witness reincarnation? Like, to um, to have a child, I guess, and suspects that they are reincarnated. Okay. Or a, a, a reincarnation of someone else. So, um, the first one was, okay, there was this kid who, um, his dad was, at, like, giving him a bath or something, and the kid said to him oh when I was your age I babysat you too and he was like what and the kid was like two years old and they were like what are you talking about and then they had um like a photo album out and the father's grandfather was in the what his car was in the picture and the kid pointed to the car and he was like hey that's my car and so they were they started to suspect that this child was um 
a reincarnation of the dad's grandfather. And they started asking him questions and he said, I came here through a portal. And then they asked him if he had any siblings because they were just curious. And the two-year-old was like, yes, I had a sister who they turned into a fish. And they were like, what? What? He was like, some bad guys turned my sister into a fish. And apparently, so his grandfather apparently had a sister who was murdered 60 years earlier and her body was found floating in san francisco bay this is creeping me out already and then they asked the kid um how he died and the kid um hit himself on the head and made a sound like he was in pain and i guess the grandfather died of a cerebral brain hemorrhage oh my goodness so wait but was this like was this like a day when he had the memories of his great-grandfather or is this like the rest of his like no, forever so and always? they say I, obviously like all of this is purely you know no i know i mean <laughs> it's fun to think about but um so there are right, so there's a man from um uva named dr tucker and he studies some of these cases and he found he gathered two thousand five hundred cases of children around the world who have really detailed memories of former lives and he said all of them usually started talking about their previous lives at around age two or three, but they all stopped having the memories by six or seven, which coincidentally is also around the time when we all lose our memories of early childhood. Hmm. So it's like these kids have these earlier memories of former lives and then they end up they end up losing them and they lead completely normal lives. Hmm. It's almost like they forget. How common is it? Um, well, he collected 2,500 cases. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, reincarnation is like a pretty strong belief around the world. I guess they say 24% of Americans believe in it, mm-hmm. and I kind of like to believe in it too. Okay, this other one, this is nuts. So there is a woman whose son, when he was like a toddler, he started calling all of his toys Pam, and she, and she was finally like, hey, why are you naming all of your stuffed animals and toys Pam and he was like well Pam was my name when I used to be a girl and she was just like what and he kept talking about like when he was a girl he was like before when I was a girl I had black hair and before when I was a girl I used to wear earrings like you and then he said that he lived in Chicago he used to live in Chicago and he took the train a lot but then he said he died in a fire and when he said that he made a motion towards the window like someone was jumping out of a window and she looked up she just like went online and she found a story about a fire in the Paxton Hotel in Chicago 19 people died and a woman named Pam Robinson died when she jumped out a window oh my goodness (laughs) I know so then I I I went down to like such a huge wormhole researching all these um and some kids oh there was one girl who her first words were why am I here I was at the dock (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, there's all these kids who, like, some of them have um, birthmarks, and they say that, like, children who have birthmarks um, sometimes come up with really strange explanations for why they have birthmarks. So there was this one girl in Sri Lanka who said, who had a series of birthmarks on her ribs and her chest, and she insisted that she used to be um, uh, an incense maker who, and she, that, and she was a man in a previous life, and she made incense for a living, and that she died in a tragic accident. And I guess in the next town over, there was an incense maker who was hit by a car while riding his bicycle, and his autopsy report showed that he had bruises and fractured along his ribs right where her birthmarks were. That's crazy. Do you have any birthmarks? Yeah, I do. I have one on my um, upper thigh. 
So I have one that's on, I think this actually happened when we were in Michigan one time. One that's on the back of my neck and it's really light. And there have been multiple times in my life where I forgot it's there. And then I think that there's like dirt on the back of my neck that I can't get off. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think it was in Michigan where I like called my mom. I was like, mom, there's a mark on the back of my neck. I thought it was dirt. But like, (laughs) she was like, you've had that since you were born. (laughs) You'd never seen it before? (laughs) I like, I like, because I, you don't, it's not very obvious. That's and, true. You like, really look at the back of your neck. And, and I just, like, I <laughs> forgot, I guess. And I've done it again, like, now, because I have that memory so well. But, like, sometimes I'll, like, double, I'll, you know, look twice, and I'll be like, wait, what is that? Oh, yeah, it's my birthmark. Like, oh, my God. That reminds me of, there. like, when we got fake tattoos that one time <laughs> at the bowling alley, like, out of a quarter machine, and we put these fake tattoos on ourselves. And I woke up the next morning, and I went to take a shower, and there was this huge scorpion tattoo on my shoulder and I freaked out because it looked like just this huge rash on my back and I was like what did I do and then I was like oh my god I can't can't remember now Uh, okay the last one that I read was this um there was this little boy who his parents believed was a world war ii u.s navy fighter pilot uh because he used to have really bad nightmares where he would wake up screaming airplane crash on fire can't get out like screaming this and he had really really bad nightmares and he would play with planes a lot and I guess he knew a lot of information about planes that his parents couldn't explain so like his mom once was pointing out an object on the plane and she referred to it as a bomb and he was like no that's a drop tank like he was correcting her (laughs) and he said that he his name was James in a previous life and that he flew off a ship named the Natoma and the family did some research and they discovered that there was an aircraft carrier during World War II called the USS Natoma Bay and there was a pilot in the squadron named James um, I have his last name written, but I wrote really poorly and I can't see what I wrote. <laughs> Houston. Um, and he was killed in action over, um, the Pacific when his plane was shot down and caught fire. Oh my goodness. I know. That's so, so it's just, crazy. And it's so weird to think of like, I mean, think how easily you form false memories though. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so a lot of people say like these memories of a former life, they're not of a former life. They're just false memories that form in your subconscious, just from the various stimuli that you get from day to day. Mm-hmm. So it's like, who knows? But it, I don't know. I really enjoyed reading it. And I I could go into much more detail about reincarnation because I like to believe it's true. <laughs> well, it's so interesting, too. Like, in some ways, if a kid says something, there's probably someone in the world who had that name or, or like, what I, like, I mean, it's kind of interesting. Like, I wonder, what, like, if it's real, what the rules are, how yeah. it works. Like, I'm so curious about that. Well, I can send you some articles because there's a lot written about it. Okay, but don't send them to me until James comes home because I'm, okay. like, getting freaked out in my apartment oh, right now. Oh, sorry. I purposely <laughs> tried to keep it, like, oh, rebirth. But no, it's, I mean, it's good. It's just, um... Yeah, it is a little think, freaky to think about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm easily spooked, though, too, because I am really, like, open to stuff, but also, like, really... Like, because I believe it could be true, but yeah. then I'm like, oh, if that could be true, all this other stuff could be true, and then I get, like... And then where does that end? Yeah. Exactly. Then the beasts are coming through the (laughs) veil and, you know, they're bad. (laughs) Or they might just be really misunderstood. (laughs) That's funny. So I did, I actually did just a tiny bit of research too about the monarch butterfly thing. Oh, yeah. And how all the angels were like imprinted to 
the fallen angels were imprinted to remember all the maps and the um like history of of all the portals they went through yeah yeah well and that was so interesting i think some of the magic that would be another cool short story some more about the fallen angels beforehand or the or the people who like put the magic spells on them too because they had like a lot of weird stuff going on with how they were connected to each other and how they were able to transmit this information and the idea was as you go through these worlds have children and they'll be able to come back and tell us that you were there mm-hmm. like they were going to go full circle like they were going to go full circle through all the worlds yeah so eliza talked a little bit about the monarch butterfly migration and how like it's multiple generations that get from point a to point b and back to point a again like it's not the same butterfly that returns home it's like several generations later um, so I looked into it a little bit, and this was just, like, one additional fact on that that I thought was really interesting. Every fourth generation of this butterfly lives a really long time. Like, what? so basically... It has, like, an unnaturally long life. Well, not, I mean, that might be a little bit of an exaggeration. So, Uh-oh. like... <laughs> I really want there to be an immortal butterfly. <laughs> That's not the Mothman. <laughs> so these monarch butterflies, like... And February and March is like mating season and they go and lay eggs and whatnot. And then they, that first generation that comes out of those eggs live about six weeks. And so do the next two generations. And then the fourth generation, which is otherwise identical if you look at the whole lifespan, um, will live six to eight months. What? And they don't know why? It has something. I mean, I don't know if it has something. I don't know what causes it. And I didn't do enough research into this. But. That's so interesting. Like, basically, that six to eight month is to return home. So it's like part of this oh. migration process. So, but again, it's not that. It still isn't the same butterfly that started there. But it's like the first few generations, they're all traveling one direction. And then that fourth generation, like, makes it all the way back to the beginning, to this first mating place. That's so cool. And it- Oh, and it lives longer. And again, I didn't do a ton of research. This is from monarchbutterfly.com. <laughs> but I also found an article on National Geographic, so it's not just this. But I was just curious. Like, it just, it's so crazy that it's like every fourth generation lives, like, instead of, what is it, 15 days, they live 180 days. Like, that's so unfair. <laughs> I feel like I'd be the 15-day butterfly and be like, I just want to live for six months, travel home. <laughs> But if you're just, I don't know, is it fun to be a butterfly? I I mean, there's worse things to be, right? There's also better things to be. (laughs) If I was reincarnated into another animal, I'd want to come back as like a spoiled dog. Yeah, I wouldn't mind um, being reborn as Banjo. That'd be pretty nice. But if I was going to be a butterfly, I'd want to be a fourth generation monarch butterfly. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel very strongly about that. I really hope that works out for you. I'll send you some good karma so you can be reincarnated just the way you want. Thank you. I appreciate it. I would not want to come back as a butterfly and have to fly like huge distances just to get home. I just like, I don't know why, like my sense of whatever. I was like, that's not fair. (laughs) You were just so angry on behalf of all the other butterflies. Like just because I was born third generation, I don't get a long life. I don't know. Hey, it just depends on how you live it. It is kind of a raw deal. And I, I think it's so interesting. I actually, I want to do more, I want to do more research on it, but I probably won't because next week we'll have to research something new. So that's the one, I mean, it's not really a downside, but I feel like every week there's so much more I want to learn than what I do learn or like additional stuff I want to look into. And then I read another hundred pages and there's five new topics I'm interested in learning about. So 
There was actually a lot to research this book. I It was hard to just pick one because everything I read, I was like, oh, we could do that. Yeah. And this would be good, too. But yeah, there's a lot happen. of things. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> uh, but I wouldn't be researching at all. If I was just reading this for fun, I'd maybe be like, oh, that's cool. But I wouldn't. I'd much less frequently Google and dig into something. Yeah, same here. Okay, so if this book were to be made into a movie, what would be your um, the scene that you would most want to see? Hmm. I should have been prepared for this because we ask this every <laughs> time. <laughs> I feel like... So many good ones. I know. There's just so much good stuff. I feel like maybe... This isn't even like an amazing scene or anything, but I feel like when Zuzanna and Mick get the wishes and they've been kicked out and Zuzanna's all like, you know, hot and bothered and worried about her friend and they're trying to figure out how to turn Eliza into herself again and then she becomes an angel and they're like whoa oh, I feel like that cool. could be kind of a See cool her, scene like, grow wings yeah. and I really liked the scene at the end when um Karuna Kiva go to sneak up on jail and I was like so irritated because this was like the second time that this happened to Akiva where um, jail was waiting for him and like set an ambush and I got irrationally angry and I was like you we learned nothing like <laughs> yeah how could this happen to you a second time but then obviously he brings Hexia but um that one scene where Razgat throws the knife at Akiva's heart and it passes right through his chest oh yeah um that part was like she the author like really tricks you because she ends the chapter with like and then the knife went right into Akiva's heart and you're and you're freaking out and then, and then, like, the next probably good we didn't stop like, there. But actually passed through. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was actually, like, really cool that somehow his Sirithar or whatever. Yeah, I was still kind of confused about it, though. Yeah, I was, too. Like, did he call he, like, on the magic? And is that upsetting the veil on Earth? Because every universe has a veil, right? Or right. was it something else with fate and the magic acting on its own? Or was it... Like, I couldn't tell if he did something or something happened. Well, they always say that he's, like, invisible to death or whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, they just said it, yeah, that Um, scene, really, but yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I I thought maybe it had to do with something with um, Festival, his mom, because I also really liked when the um, Stillians were talking about Festival, and they were like, she would not have been in Joram's harem if she hadn't been there willingly, because she's extremely powerful force and there's no way they could have contained her and I kind of thought that was interesting that they were saying like there must have been a reason that she placed herself there and I was thinking maybe it was because she wanted she knew that her stallion blood would be stronger and that she almost wanted to plant a stallion misbegotten in the army to try and overthrow Joram and um jail yeah and they said she was so pulled by her call to fate so she, yeah there must have been yeah. some strong reason why she thought having akiva in that situation would do good for the world or whatever she's another character i would love to see and re- like see some scenes of although i'm also kind of mad like obviously i'm glad that she had akiva but if she was so powerful why didn't she like help him out Even, i wish she had like recovered a memory of her yeah. or that she had like done like i kind of was like you weren't really a great mom, though. You just let him go. But I think it's because she wanted to plant him. Like, she knew that he had to grow up. Because otherwise, I think Joram would have killed him. Remember, Jail kept being like, you need to kill this child because he has stalian blood and you don't know what that's going to bring. So I think if she hadn't just let him be taken by the army. Yeah, okay, so she can send her magic thought-feeling wishes across the world and, like, 
leave a message for him one day or I don't know. I She could have done more. Yeah, I agree. Leave him some imprinted memories. And that was another interesting scene when uh, Scarab noticed that Akiva was like given his mom and then lost her again when he was being pushed all the memories of festival and what mm. all had come to be. I thought that was kind of cool. That would actually be a cool thing to see, too. How I don't know how they would do it well on screen, but I would love to experience the mind-sharing, yeah. emotional... Like, that would be a cool thing to experience in real life, how they pass messages with the emotions and In, like, images, yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so what do we want to rank this series, and what do we want to rank it out of? Out of... Well, should we rank it in terms of wishes? Oh, yeah. All the levels How many are wishes? right now. Like Scuppies versus... <laughs> A Gabriel. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, I... Well, if we're doing numbers, I think I would rank it 8 out of 10 wishes. I think I'd rank it even higher. There are things I didn't like about it, but there were so many things I did like about it and I thought were better than a lot of what we've read. Yeah, that's true. Maybe eight and a half. I'm stingy with my ratings. I've like never given anyone higher than an eight and a half. This is actually, I think I don't think I've given anything higher than a seven. <laughs> I actually I thought rereading it, I wouldn't like it as much, but I think I almost liked it more the second time through. Really? I don't know. I was. I think I liked it better the first time because it was so new and exciting and like different. I mean, I love the surprises, and it was a little bit weird. I mean, you know, like that part was gone, but and there were certain like I didn't like all the. As much as I enjoy some romance to a book, like some of, even the Kairu and Akiva stuff, that was like too much or like, you know, I was kind of like, okay. We've read this already. Yeah. You don't really know each other, (laughs) but. (laughs) Okay. What are you going to rank it? Uh, I mean, at least an eight and a half and I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go actually to 10. So maybe eight and a half, nine, somewhere in there. We're tied. Yeah. I really liked it. Agreed. And I'm excited to read, I mean, hopefully we'll get to read her her other series, uh, Strange the Dreamer, which came out this last year. Um, and I think the second one's going to come out this year, too, hopefully. So yeah, maybe we'll read another one by her. I absolutely would read anything else that she wrote. I do. I just love her writing, to be honest. And Agreed. And yeah, I want more short stories, as always. I, I guess there's been no author who's satisfied me with the number of short stories, so it might be <laughs> me who has the problem, but... Because the number of short stories we need is endless. Yep. <laughs> I never want to leave inf- a world. Infinity. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about the next book we're going to read? I guess so. Do we? <laughs> Goodbye, my friends. Oh, I know. And this was so bittersweet because this was like the book that started our, that we, that made us want to do the podcast. I know. So it's like, it's very special to me. Agreed. The series that started it all. And I'm nervous. What if this next one just sucks and then it's like all downhill from there? <laughs> well, you know what? We haven't read a series that we didn't like so far, so we are probably due for one soon, but I, I hope it's not this one. Okay, we are going to read Winter Song by S.J. Jones, and it is a duology, which is lovely. I love I love duologies. Um, the second book is called Shadow Song, and it just came out um, this past February, so this is a newer series. It's finally complete, and... It literally came out yesterday like I pre-ordered it and it like arrived on the first day it came out at my house so oh my gosh that's right okay so yeah this is brand new okay and we're going to read how far are we gonna read we will read up to the chapter called the wedding oh I don't know whose wedding I don't even know who's in it but hopefully it's not a red wedding okay (laughs) um I will read 
the description on Goodreads. I think it's my turn to read the description. Yep, that sounds right. Oh my god, this is long. (laughs) Okay. Beware the goblin men and the wares they sell. All her life, 19-year-old Lysel has heard tales of the beautiful, mysterious Goblin King. Sounds like an oxymoron, the beautiful Goblin King. (laughs) Anyway, he is the Lord of Mischief, the ruler underground, and the muse around which her music is composed. Yet, as Lysel helps shoulder the burden of running her family's inn, her dreams of composition and childish fantasies about the Goblin King must be set aside in favor of more practical concerns. But when her sister Kat, Kath, Kath, Kath is taken by the goblins. (laughs) Toby did not like that. He was like, bring that girl back. He's protecting us from the goblins and the reincarnated children. Toby, come here. (laughs) Toby, get the goblins. (laughs) You can edit that out. Sorry. I'm leaving this in. Okay, when her sister Kath is taken by the goblins, Lysel journeys to their realm to rescue her sister and return her to the world above. The goblin king agrees to let Kath go for a price. The life of a maiden must be given to the land in accordance with the old laws. A life for a life, he says. Without sacrifice, nothing good can grow. In exchange for her sister's freedom, Lysel offers her hand in marriage to the goblin king. He accepts. <laughs> and there's a wedding! We know there's a chapter called the wedding! <laughs> They're just going to tell us the whole plot this of this This is like a lot. I feel like this is more than I knew about the book. This is too much. Um, <laughs> just, just put a dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, okay, down in the underground, Liza discovers that the Goblin King still inspires her musically, physically, emotionally. Yet even as her talent blossoms, Liza's life is slowly fading away. The price she paid for becoming the Goblin King's bride. As the two of them grow closer, they must learn just what it is they are each willing to sacrifice. Her life, her music, or the end of the world. Oh, man. That sounds like just she's sacrificing. She is sacrificing (laughs) a lot, not necessarily. I don't know what he's sacrificing in this scenario. I couldn't tell you, but. Okay, well, now that we know the entire book. (laughs) So let's just talk about it now. (laughs) We'll have a five-second episode. Okay, well, (laughs) I hope it's good. (laughs) It reminds me, my sister and I were obsessed with this movie growing up called The Princess and the Goblin. I'll talk about it more when we're reading. It might have nothing to do with this book at all, but that's what I'm thinking of right now. It sounds, I mean, given what we just read. (laughs) It it has a goblin in it, so, you know, (laughs) same thing. Okay, um, do you want to tell me a joke this week? Okay, yeah. (laughs) Okay. I mean, if I have to. (laughs) I I would like to, but, um, okay. Oh, no. No, it's it's good. Okay. Do you want to hear the word I just made up? Yes. Plagiarism. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. I love that. <laughs> I'm tasting that to my cousin's husband right now. <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, I wanted to text you that all week once I read it. And I was like, no, I have to save it for the podcast. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you for that. What a great note to end on. (laughs) And with that, we will see you in two weeks. Thank you for everyone for listening. Um, Go rate, review, subscribe, and send us emails for more dad jokes because they make us happy. (laughs) And go buy Winter Song and start reading. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card.
M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.